Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. At 11 o'clock, we're going to get the Houston perspective with the man who has the Houston perspective and has for decades. John McClain, he's with Sports Radio 610, longtime columnist covering the National Football League uh, with the Houston Chronicle. Jeff Thomas is going to do it at 1120. Brian Anderson at noon. Tim May. One o'clock, and right before Tim, Chad Brown, former NFL linebacker, covers the Broncos, also uh, does a podcast, and also played for some of the legends who just uh, are changing jobs or not having a job anymore. Chad's coming up in a little bit. Browns go to Houston tomorrow. They play the Houston Texans. Actually, they're on their way to Houston today. They'll play the Texans tomorrow. And clearly, what has happened here in Cleveland? Joe Flacco has come in and absolutely captivated Browns fans. It's been stunning. They're a, a well-known legal firm has a big billboard up that says, Go Flacco. <laughs> I mean, it's it's unbelievable. They're selling T-shirts that say Ben Flacco. What is it? Ben a Flacco fan since 2023 or something like that. It's just tremendous. <laughs> that, that is actually. Sweatshirts, all sorts of stuff. That actually is really pretty good. And the, the thing about this is he's been really good. I mean, there's no question about it. And to hear folks talk, he's going to stay really good. That's the that's one of the things that I find really fascinating about this is that there's no talk of Joe slipping, that he's going to perform at this level. And I thought, okay, what kind of a level is Joe Flacco really performing at? And I thought, this is worth digging into. So, so I did a little bit. So what did I do? He played in five games with the Browns. And I was going to take those numbers and spread them out over 15 games, just thinking he'd miss a couple of games and might not perform as well. And I just thought, I wonder what that would be like. But then I looked, and and I thought this was kind of, I was a little surprised. I found that in the NFL this year, 10 quarterbacks played in all 17 games. And five played in 16 games. A couple of those would have played in 17, but they were they, they didn't play the last game. They sat out for their teams. And five played in 15 games. So 20 quarterbacks in the NFL this year played in 15, 16, or 17 games. That's nuts. Isn't that kind of nuts? Because we know of all the injuries and everything else and all the backups who have played. And I was surprised to find it was that many. Yeah, because so, this season really felt like we saw more backups than any other. I agree. So I thought, well, you know what? Let's just and, and Flacco historically, when he was with Baltimore, played every game. 
I mean, I think there was all but one year that Joe played all 16 games. Now there are 17. So I took his numbers, did the math per game, and then projected them over 17 games. I thought that was interesting, but then I wanted to see where that ranked. So, folks, here's how well Joe Flacco has played in five games. And this might either impress the you-know-what out of you or scare the heck out of you, making you think there's no way that this continues. And I'd love to know what you think. Can this continue, or is it just so clear that it can't continue at this pace? 216-474-0092. So Flacco completed 123 of 204 passes for over 1,600 yards, 13 touchdowns, 8 interceptions, 8 sacks. Project that over 17 games, right? Do a little math. I learned it at Woodridge. It was all good. On the season, over 17 games, at the rate that Joe put things up in the first game, he would have completed 418 passes, (laughs) which would have been the most in the National Football League, Mm -hmm. eight more than Dak Prescott. Good golly. I also have historical perspective on this. I'm just going to go this season first. Then I'm going to give you the history, and that's going to stun you too. So he would have been first in completions, eight more than Dak. He would have thrown the ball 693 times this year. (laughs) That would have led the National Football League 81 more than Sam Howell of the Washington Commanders who threw it an absolute ton. I just want you to know right now Bruce Arians is like licking his chops. Joe Flacco, projected over the 17 games, would have thrown for 5,494 yards. (laughs) That would have led the National Football League by 870 more yards than Tua Tungavailoa. So he'd have been first in completions, first in attempts, first in yardage. He would have thrown 44 touchdown passes. That would have been eight more than Dak Prescott for first place in the National Football League. And he would have thrown 27 interceptions, which would have been first in the National Football League, six more than Sam Howell. But under the Jameis line, which is really what we're looking for. The Jameis line is 30, if I'm not mm-hmm. mistaken. 30 touchdowns, 30 mm-hmm. picks. Yep. That's the Jameis line yep. under Bruce Arians. 27 interceptions he would have thrown. And he would have been sacked 27 times, which isn't bad. It would have tied him for 27th with Patrick Mahomes. So what does that mean? It means Joe is getting rid of the ball. So there you go. Projected over the the season at the way he played in five games, Flacco would have led the NFL in completions, attempts, yardage, touchdowns, and interceptions. (laughs) That's really funny to hear. It, it, I was really funny to think I, about. I, I, you know, I wanted to do the math, but I wanted to see where it would have put him, because this the pace he's been on has been incredible, and his play has been outstanding, except for the interceptions. But you can live with that because the defense has done that. Blah blah. We know that. Right. You haven't. Been but hurt. again, first in completions, attempts, yardage, touchdowns, and interceptions. Take it a step further. You ready? Projected over 17 games, 400. And again, now the records dealt with 16 games in most instances. Right. 418 completions would have tied Flacco 
for the 30th most in a season in NFL history with Rich Gannon in 2002. He made the Super Bowl that year. The 693 attempts would be the fifth most in NFL history in a season. Fifth most. The 5,494 yards, that's his projection over the 17 games, would have been the best single season ever. 17 more than Peyton Manning in 2013. The 44 touchdowns would tie Dan Marino for ninth all-time in a season. Jeez. The 27 interceptions, nine-way tie for the 20th most all-time in a season. Eh, you throw the ball that much. Flacco would have dominated the NFL this year had he done this over the course of a season and would have really made his mark on some national records. He'd have appeared, especially with yardage. That's Best really single season ever, 17 more than Peyton Manning in 2013. That's really funny to think about. Now you tell me, Dan. Can that continue? <laughs> I mean, I, I sure hope so. And, and I... There's no reason to say that he, it can't, but man, that's that's really getting her done. So, the rosy picture of this is yes, with the reason being that with this defense and the way that they've put this together and the ability that they have on third down and the ability they have to completely stifle offenses, Joe Flacco whipping it 40 times a game and tossing two picks a game doesn't totally kill you. If he also throws three touchdowns, if you end up with four five, six explosive plays and have two picks off of it, it's not as backbreaking because you still have those five, six explosive plays that are getting you close to the end zone. And these numbers are so askew and out of whack because the Browns can't run the ball. They they flat out cannot run the ball well, now since Dewan Jones went down. That's not entirely true. Oh, the, Jeff. The, the last game they were okay. And now DeWand has been since he's been out. It's been a different, been a different story. And Flacco's had to throw, but you know, in that in that stretch, Dan, where Nick went down, and DeWand stepped in for Conklin, you know, before Nick went down, they were able to run the ball actually really well. It's it's been, and you're right. Since DeWand Jones been out, they've they've and and then when you've had more issues at quarterback, they've not been able to run the ball as well. And against Houston, what did they have? 30 carries for 53 yards. I mean, it wasn't good. But they bounced back last week. Yeah. Whatever, for but, whatever that's worth. Yeah. Okay. Last week had Jeff Driscoll back there. It makes me think, though, that they have to run the ball against Houston a little bit. Right. You got to you got to take some heat off of Flacco. If you're going to have playoff success, you need to have some kind of variance. I and agree. You don't need to run the ball great. You just need to have it as something in your back pocket. It needs to be better than what it's looked like. I think that's exactly on the money. So, like, right now, it has been horrible. It needs to be bad. Like, that's that's the jump that I'm looking for. You need to be bad at running the ball, not horrible. So, they need to find something, some semblance of it in the run game because I don't think Flacco throwing the ball 40 times a game is a recipe for success. See, that's what I think, too. It has been. They've They've been able to pull it off to this point. It's just playoff defenses are a different animal. And I know the Texans' defense, especially the spine of that defense, is not in the best shape, nor is it the best aspect of their team. But, boy, if you're sitting back, even on the just-okay defense, knowing that they're going to throw it every single time, 
it's it's a little bit different, or at least that they're going to throw it 62% of the time or whatever they're at right now for passing rate. Like, it, it's going to be a little bit different. They need to find some semblance of the run game because I think in the playoffs, Flacco throwing 40 times a game is not your recipe for success. And see, that's my concern because it's worked here in the regular season. I And it's not even on him. I think from a team standpoint, if your team is in a spot where he's going to have to throw it 44 times, and that's it's a lot to ask, and I would I would think that other teams, in Houston, it's another team, have had enough chance to to look at the tape, see some things, and think how can we how can we slow this passing game down? How can we slow this down? What can we do against this thirty nine year old quarterback? What can happen here? What do we do? And that's that's why I just I think there has to be a little bit of balance. If you're concerned that it can't continue, if you think it will, folks, I mean I'd love to hear your reasoning. Two one six four seven four zero zero nine two. It's Baskin and Phelps with Menigan right here on the fan. That's Dan Menigan. He's playing Baskin today. I'm Jeff Phelps. Apparently playing Phelps today. The number to join us is two one six four seven four zero zero nine two. If you're just joining us in the first segment, we went over some Joe Flacco. Uh, what's the best way to describe it? Projection. Thank you. If he went over 17 games, and I thought at first that number was preposterous, but so many quarterbacks played in 17. I was surprised, 10, and five more played in 16 games and five played in 15, so I thought, what the heck, let's just go for it. And in case you're wondering, if Flacco's numbers through five games with the Browns were projected over a 17-game season, and assuming he stayed healthy and played in all those games, which, by the way, he really did. He played in almost every game when he was in Baltimore, uh, when he was the starting quarterback. One season, I think he just played in 10. Other than that, he was a 16-start guy. He would have led the NFL this year in completions, attempts, yardage, touchdowns, and interceptions. And the yardage total would have been the highest in National Football League history. Now, I don't expect that to happen. And also, as you read those numbers, Bruce Arians just took a giant drag off of a cigar and smiled. <laughs> I, I don't expect those to continue. Okay? I, I don't do that. However, I think he can be good. And I also think that some other things better step up. And to me, the other thing is, is the running game, Dan. And if you're looking for what to do against the running game, well, last week against Indianapolis, the Colts had 227 yards rushing. Now, they had Jonathan Taylor. I'll give you that. But you were able to run the, you were able to run the ball against them. The week before, the Tennessee Titans... 53 yards rushing. I was going to say, the problem, like, the funny thing is, is the Texans are actually really good against the run. Like, yeah. I wonder if last week was the fluke. But if you're really good at running the ball, which the Browns are, haven't been lately, I'll give you that. Don't you have to try to establish the run? Or do you use the pass to establish the run against Houston? Because they're pretty good in run defense. What are you going to do? This... I think it's the short pass game. I think this is the if it's not broke, don't fix it. I think that's how the Browns are rolling with this whole thing. I can't. 
I can't see them doing any kind of heavy overload of what or overhaul of what they've been doing to try to muster some kind of a run game. I think they just looked at it and went, okay, we've got two undersized tackles in in um James Christian. Hudson and Jerron and Christian. Thank you. We've got two undersized tackles. We're not going to be able to figure out how to do this. So we're not going to be able to piecemeal together the type of run game that we need to succeed any way we want to go about it because the edges are just getting crashed too much. So forget it. Let's go West Coast offense. And, of course, Kevin Stefanski versed in the West Coast offense coaching under Brad Childress. Short passing game is the equivalent of running. And I think that's what's going to continue to happen because it's not like anybody's going to get healthy and come save the day. It's not like Dewan Jones is going to walk in and save the day. It's not like you're going to get Jedrick Wills back as much maligned as he's been this entire season and, frankly, his career. He's not going to walk in and save the day a tackle for you. This is what you have. This is what you have to work with. So why change it and why alter it? Because, frankly, with how good your defense is and how this has gone, man, why? If it's not broke, don't fix it. Do you have a do you have a pivot point though? I mean, like if it's if it's not working, then what do you do? And I am not. It's not that I'm lacking confidence here. I'm just wondering. I mean, Flacco through five games put up league leading numbers. If you project them out, mm-hmm. I don't think that continues. Now, I hope I'm wrong. But I, I, if I'm Kevin Stefanski and I'm going into this game, I think I'm realistically thinking I need to rush for about 100 yards. You don't have to dominate on the ground, but you can't have the 53 you had the first 54 the first time you played him. You can't do what Tennessee did a couple of times, and that's not run the ball well. And I don't think you have to do what the Colts did, 188. But I think you have to be able to, to run the football a little bit and take even just a little heat off of Joe Flacco. No? It's gotten you this far? I mean, I, I hate to say it that way because I'm typically with you. I, I'm somebody right. who very much believes in the Shanahan mold that it all starts with the ability to run the ball and then we build everything off of that. That's always been my offensive philosophy. And, and again, not a play caller. Not a, you know, that's just the style of football that I believe works. So – not having that aspect of it, they have built this offense where it's like, okay, well, let's hit the short passing game. And we're going to use the short passing game to supplement the run. And our goal is to hit six to eight passes of over 15 yards. And if we hit six to eight passes of over 15 yards, who cares? We'll just move the ball in chunks. And, yeah, it may stall out every so often. And, yeah, it may look clunky. And the third down percentage may not be as good as you want it to be. I think they're 28th in the league in third down percentage since Flacco took over. Like, it's not as pretty as you want it to be. But knowing that this offense can hit six to eight, just play action, bootleg. Here's another 19-yard chunk that just gets thrown to Amari Cooper. Here's a 22-yarder to David Njoku. Here's a bomb to... Elijah Moore that falls right into the bucket for 50 yards. Like if they can continue to do that and supplement it with the short passing game, I think we're all going to look at each other and just go, okay, it's not the way we would do it, but boy, this, this really is the MacGyver offensive. This is the product of the tools that we have in front of us and we're building it to work. Can I give you a realistic thought on this? Sure. Texans are sixth 
in the NFL with fewest rushing yards allowed. They're good against the run. Well, hold on. At 96.6. I think all the Browns have to do is hit that. Get, get about 100 yards. That That's all the compliment. I don't think you have to go out and rush for 220. But I think if you go out and you rush for 100 yards, you win the football game. And that's that still is a pretty good day defensively by Houston. But again, they held the Browns to under two yards per carry when they played in week 16. That can't happen again. That, that to me, is, is actually, and we're going to do two keys and a lock later on, and we're going to do quick predicts today. Mm-hmm. So, so if it if it you know crashes without basking here because Andy loves that segment, then that's going to be on you. Okay, I'll so, take that heat. Yeah, that'll be good. All I think all you have to do is is get what Houston gives up on an average game. Just don't let them dominate you when you try to run the football. And they dominated the Browns in Week 16. 30 carries, 50 some yards. But Kevin didn't go away from it. He still tried to establish a run, and I appreciate that. And I think he has to do that. But I think they have – I mean, that's – if you average about three and a half yards a carry, then I think you're okay if you do what you usually do, which is run it 25 to 35 times. And that's okay. You just have to have some kind of a counter because they're going to do all they can to try and slow down the Browns' passing game, which has actually become really good here under Joe Flacco. So Houston has allowed 67.6% completion rate. That's 29th in the league. 7.7 yards per attempt, that's 29th in the league. And 11.3 yards per completion, 26th in the league. Now, they typically lock it down when you get into touchdowns. This is all courtesy of Sharp Football. Like, they're going to give you the low yards. They're going to let you get the deep balls. They are not the best when it comes to the passing defense. You're going to want to avoid Derek Stingley, who is their, their star corner. He got knocked out of that game early against the Browns, but he's the one who, like, and he only plays one side of the field. And last game, they took and put Elijah Moore on that side of the field and said, okay, you deal with him. We'll go after Steven Nelson and whomever else with Amari Cooper. And went to the left side of the field with him and operated that way, leaving Stingley on that side. Now, will Stingley follow Cooper in this game? I don't know. He hasn't done it all season. So I could easily see them being like, well, you know, we've got it. We, we, We've come this far running this kind of a defense. We've come this far with Stingley being on one side of the field and not moving him, and and this is how we're going to operate this season, and maybe next year we'll work on it. But you can get them through the air better than you can get them on the ground. No, I don't I don't doubt that. But I just I think you have, in this situation, I think you have to have some kind of a ground game. And all I'm looking for is for the Browns to even just get what Houston gives up on a regular basis, which is 96 yards. I think if you do that, I think you're in pretty good shape. I really do. I just don't think you can get trashed when you try to run the football. It can't just be complete. And no matter what happens with it, and it's so funny because this is what people have screamed at Ben Slowick and the um, Houston Texans offense for. Bobby. Bobby, thank you. Bobby Slowick and the Houston Texans offense for is that when the when the run game flames out, they still continue to go to it. I almost feel like that's what the Browns need to do. Is even if it gets smashed, like just continue to go for well, it, just Kevin's to continue to sell that play yeah. action game. Exactly, and, and I think Kevin's I always can, done a really good job of that. And I know you can run play action without running the ball, I, I and think, it's just a success. I think successful. he has an opportunity there. Roman is in Canton. Roman, what's happening, Roman? Well, it's happy Friday. And happy to you. Friday. Happy Friday. Um, wanted to just chime in here. I think that 
I, I, I couldn't reiterate it any better is that, you know, these guys need to take it personal that they only averaged two yards a carry at the last time they played the Texans. Yeah, with even. how good our offensive line is, um, you know, with how much pride we take in our run game, even, you know, without Nick this year, um, we, they need to take that personal and we can't be one dimensional against them. And then flip it over to the defense. You know, we have, we have to make it one dimensional for them. We have to make CJ make those rookie mistakes that all rookies do. I understand how phenomenal a quarterback he is and how great of a season he's having. But, you know, if we put it all on his shoulders and, you know, take a gamble at that, then I think we have the best chance of winning this weekend. Roman, thank you very much. And just just have a running game. You don't have to be like the Colts with 188. And the Colts lost anyway. Why? Because they didn't run the ball when they had a game-winning play ahead of them, perhaps. He was wide open. Yeah, I know. He's well, wide open. Yeah, well, there's a reason that he didn't play all year, too. He's wide open. And that he was a backup quarterback. It, I'm... I agree with you guys. It probably should have been Jonathan Taylor who was out there doing it, but boy, I still can't yell about execution. Yeah, I know. I I still can't yell at that play call because you got exactly what you wanted. John McClain does sports talk radio in Houston, but that's not John's claim to fame. John is, uh, John's a big time sports writer. Wrote for the Houston Chronicle forever. And and is one of the preeminent NFL writers in the country. He kind of has the Tim May problem where he's retired and somehow now works more. That's really true. He's next. He's going to give us the Houston perspective right here on Baskin and Phelps. When you want to talk about Houston sports, there's one guy to talk to, and you can talk to him if you live in Houston on Sports Radio 610. He's now in the Odyssey family. But John McClain spent, John, was it 46 or 45 years with the Houston Chronicle? 45 years for the Houston Chronicle. Now I write five columns a week, do three podcasts, and Six radio shows for SportsRadio610.com. So you retired to work See, more. Yeah, John, I got to sit down. <laughs> we got to talk to you and our buddy Tim May, who covers the Buckeyes for Letterman Row, about the fact that you guys both retire and you're working more now. This is ridiculous. John McClain, reti- what are you doing? I only retired from the Chronicles so I could collect my pension and do commercials on the radio because newspapers don't allow you to do any endorsements. So you've, you've cashed in. You're my hero. John McLean joining us on the North Olmstead Chrysler Jeep Dodge Ram Hotline. John, thanks for your time. We appreciate you being with us. My pleasure. Browns and Texans. If there are two teams who you thought, eh, they're probably not playoff bound next year, I think the Texans would have been in that conversation, and then D'Amico Ryan shows up, and the Browns might have been in that conversation for some folks. What do you, what do you think of the two teams meeting here at this time of the year? Well, I saw people picking the Browns to win the division if they got Watson would bounce back from a terrible last season and inactive the previous season before. And I know he struggled except for that last half in Baltimore before he had his surgery. And uh, so the fact that they're there is only a surprise because of the injuries at quarterback. And, of course, offensive tackle. Not many teams got top three tackles on IR, and they're still – favored to win a wild-card game and advance into the divisional round, which is a testimonial, not just to Kevin Stefanski, but Jim Schwartz, coaches, players, especially the defense. And now, of course, Joe Flacco, who's authored one of the most amazing comebacks in NFL history. And um, I'm fired up to see this game. 
You know, Flacco just obliterated the Texans secondary on Christmas Eve, and people here think, well, C.J. Stroud's back. That's going to make a difference. Browns are still favored by two. I picked the Browns by four. I think a lot of people here who are picking with their head and not their heart will pick the Browns to win this game. And the main reason, defense, but also Flacco has been better in the playoffs in his career than regular season. So from the outside looking in, John, what do you think of Joe Flacco coming out of retirement from throwing balls to his brother and his dad, dad. at local high school fields into the NFL and just rolling? What do you think of this? I saw an interview where he said he played a lot of pickleball and from everybody plays pickleball, talks about how great it is to keep you in shape. And I think having this time off, and the fact is he didn't play much for the Jets during those three years. So his body has been replenished and you know the heart and the mind certainly haven't gone is a great opportunity i thought it was hilarious in that interview i saw where he couldn't even say how much money he was getting from the browns and not that he needs it of course when he super bowl mvp and then became a free agent he got for what at the time was the biggest contract in history so and the fact he's such a good guy such a laid-back guy and kind of like a big cahoot and uh, every who wouldn't pull for a guy like that? And I I picked Baltimore to win the Super Bowl before the season. So if Baltimore wins it, I'd brag a little bit. But I'd really like to see, as somebody who's covered the NFL for 47 years, the Lions and the Browns in the Super Bowl for two reasons. The long-suffering fans and the long-suffering media. I don't care about the coaches, the general managers, the owners. But my friends in Cleveland, who and I started covering the Oilers in 1977, and I would like to see the Browns get to the Super Bowl for the media. That's fun. I, I like that. John McClain joining us from Sports Radio 610 in Houston. And real quick, Jeff, I'm not going to lie. Dan Campbell on Radio Row would also be worth it. Uh, or that, Dan, Dan Campbell, Campbell on Super Bowl Media he, Day? Holy mackerel. He would be. He's a native Texan from Texas A&M and right up the road from us. And it'd be a great story for both teams, both fans. It might be the highest ticket in NFL history. It's fabulous. John Flacco, after he left Baltimore, didn't have a whole lot of success. He had a great game against the Browns. He threw a bunch of passes in a number of games last year for the Jets, but the Jets weren't very good. And Flacco's one loss record, for whatever that's worth, wasn't very good as well. What do you make of the fact that he was sitting there no team called him. Quarterbacks are dropping like crazy around the NFL, but nobody seemed to want to give him a, a chance until the Browns, in desperation, looking for a fourth guy to start a quarterback, picked up the phone and called him. Well, now I saw a story out of New York that said the Jets called him. No, his agent called the Jets, and they said, we're good. You know, they're good with Zach Wilson and a couple of the other guys Simeon. that played. Simeon, and who's the guy? Uh, Tim, Tim something, I forgot his Tim name. Boyle. Yeah, Tim Boyle. I think he's actually here on a practice squad. And so I think maybe a lot of it had to do with his age. In fact, he won only, what, three games in the last four years, something three like four, three yeah, years. Three, Already won more now with the Browns than he did with, during that whole period. And everybody, well, let's see, Franco's, what, 40 now? He's, I mean, actually, look, he's 38, but he'll be 39 in, in January, and by the way, in early Happy birthday to Flacco on Tuesday. We told D'Amico Ryan's next week, Flacco's your age. 
He goes, <laughs> oh, he's young. And, uh, yeah. CJ Stroud, I wrote a column that's on sportsradio610.com now. Stroud was seven when Flacco was winning two games as a rookie and losing the AFC Championship game, Pittsburgh. Texans would love for, for Stroud to have that kind of rookie playoff. And then Stroud was 12 when Flacco won a Super Bowl and was Super Bowl MVP. And uh, so it's interesting, the young versus all, the experience versus no experience. And I think it's a tremendous story. You got the two leading candidates for Coach of the Year. I think Stefanski will win it. I know Sports Illustrated listed their their honors, and they had Coach of the Year. Stefanski and, and Ryan's had four first place, four second. Stefanski won because somebody put him third and D'Amico Ryan's fifth. And I think anybody put D'Amico Ryan's fifth for the best coaching job this year, seven wins more than they had last year. I think they ought to have to disclose their name so we can see what's their problem. John McClain joining us. You can listen to him 610 Sports Radio down in Houston. Of course, you can read him on the Odyssey app, all that kind of good stuff. He's he's the legend. John, what has been the most impressive thing you've seen watching C.J. Stroud week in and week out? The way he makes good decisions and his accuracy, he uh, is really smart with the ball. And one of the reasons is, well, I don't know why it is. You know, you guys saw him up at Ohio State as a two-year starter. But from the get-go, he just doesn't throw interceptions. He has five, fewest in the league. He joins Joe Montana and Tom Brady as the only quarterbacks in history to lead the NFL in average yards passing and uh, touchdown to to, uh, interception differential. And so he has the fewest, but he's only thrown interceptions in three games. And one of them he threw three, and and he won, just like Flacco has. And so mainly he's careful with the ball, but they also throw the ball down the field. They don't dump it off a lot. Now, they've had to dump it off a lot lately because like in that game in Indianapolis Saturday, they were missing their second, third, and fourth receivers. So they had to dump it off to Devin Singletary, their running back, and Dalton Schultz figured into the passing game. But when he's had only – and I think one of those receivers, Robert Woods, he's at the end of his career, he's back. But mainly, when you have any quarterback, really, but especially a rookie, throwing the ball, they were second in plays of 25 or more yards to the 49ers when he got his concussion. You have Stroud. He's clearly a terrific young quarterback. Is there any Deshaun Watson hangover in Houston, John, or is that history? No, that's history, even though they have one in a four to complete the trade. We'll probably talk about that more when it gets close to the draft. That's one reason Will An- I mean, Will Anderson was acquired with the third overall pick. Casario felt comfortable making that deal, knowing he had the Browns pick. And, and uh, so Deshaun's kind of out of sight, out of mind. And I know I've heard he's been rehabbing in, in California, but I think it'd be so, so much fun if Flacco wins the Super Bowl and then the Browns can't bring him back for 230 million reasons. <laughs> would would you think that's the case? Because, John, I think that's the case. I, I agree. I think you. that's the case. Everybody I've talked to up there with the Browns and the media thinks that. Because if you had Flacco 
can you imagine? He'd be more popular than Kosar and uh, Otto Graham if he won a Super Bowl under these circumstances. And you bring him back, and he's sitting over there on the bench, and Watson throws two interceptions in his first start. My God, the chance, Flacco, Flacco. <laughs> You'd have biggest quarterback controversy in NFL history. You would. It it would be absolutely nuts. All right, John, so you brought up Will Anderson a little bit there, who has been sensational this year. Hey, the sack numbers may not be there, but, boy, he always seems to be around the quarterback. He always seems to really be making some noise. That defense has been really good, and it's been Will Anderson and it's been Derek Stingley. What's impressed you with the defense? Until they played uh, Indy, their run defense was third in the league, giving up 88 yards a game. They hadn't given up an opposing runner rush from 90 yards. You guys know how they limited the Browns to 1.8 per carry. And then Jonathan Taylor ran for 188. And they won, ran for 227 overall, and then they lose the game. So I think they're, they they – made some schematic changes in the fourth quarter that Indy came and shut down the run. So I'm guessing they'll shut down the run again in this game, and the Browns will shut down the run again uh, like they did on Christmas Eve. And then you're going to have this game come down to the quarterback. So you got a rookie. Yes, he's a great rookie, but he's still a rookie. And then you got a red-hot Flacco. Now, this is kind of game where Flacco might not be able to get away with two or three interceptions like he has in regular season because he's averaging 323 yards a game. But I, I, the Texans' biggest deal is to not let Amari Cooper catch a 53-yard pass on the first play and have 265 yards and two touchdowns. Derek Stingley Jr., who was just named the AFC Defensive Player of the Month, he's been tremendous. But against the Browns, his rating was 109.4. He gave up three receptions and four targets, one touchdown, one interception, and his rating for the season is 55. So that made, that was probably his worst game. He cannot afford to have that happen again. John, you want to give us a prediction? Yeah, I picked the Browns 24 to 20. Okay. Wonderful to talk to you. And My I've pleasure. admired Anytime. your work over the years. Glad you're with us in Odyssey Sports Radio 610. Go read John McClain, uh, legend in Houston media. And we appreciate your time. Thank you, John. Thanks, man. My pleasure, guys. Thank you. John McClain joining us on the North Olmstead Chrysler Jeep Dodge Ram Hotline. Unless he can't make it at noon and makes it right now, Brian Anderson, former Indians pitcher, joining us on the North Olmstead Chrysler Jeep Dodge Ram Hotline. Hello, BA. What's up, BA? Well, how are we doing, fellas? We're outstanding. It's a, it's a my day friend. before a playoff game, we're my friend. We're outstanding. Uh, yeah. I, I, and, and don't you love the fact that you, you don't have to wait around for it. Tomorrow, settle in mid-afternoon, first game out of the gate, I am, I am fired up. I am too. That's the anti-Baskin. Andy was really mad that it was the first game because he said if, if the Browns lose, then he has to think about it all weekend long. I said, come on, don't think that way. Don't think that way. And you know what? Okay, if that were to happen, obviously the game hasn't been played, so that is – a possibility. Let's just say that the rest of the weekend you have many distractions that you don't have to think about it. You can watch other games. Yeah, you're going to be bummed, but but there are other games. I, I listen. I kind of figured we were going back and forth on the text chain about what game they would get because let's let's face it. You know, you know when you've got Packers, Cowboys, some of these sexier matchups in name only, perhaps um, Browns, Texans 
you know, that's not going to move the needle like some of these other matchups. So you figured they were going to either get the Saturday first game out of the gate or maybe even get the Peacock game where no one could watch it. So, uh, I mean, I, I listen, I think it's, it's the, the best shot that they have. And like I said, I'm, I'm fired up for it. The, the game being tomorrow, uh, can't wait. All right, I'm, I'm pumped with you as well, bud. So let's look at this from the Texans side of it. I know you've watched a chunk of this. When the, when the Browns first went against the Texans, Joe Flacco ate him up. Mark Cooper set the receiving record, all of that kind of good stuff. This time around, they're a little bit more healthy, and they've got C.J. Stroud back. Does that change how you're looking at this game and how? One million percent. It, 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 it changes, completely changes the way that I look at this game, and I think for a lot of people. First of all, you know, C.J. Stroud, how about the fact that he rolls into the NFL as a rookie and he leads the NFL in passing yardage per game. It was like 273 and some odd yards a game. Leads the NFL in that category. Also leads the NFL in touchdown to interception ratio. So he not only throws for big yards on average, he doesn't give the ball away. He doesn't turn it over. That's unheard of, uh, you know, for a rookie to, to come out and do that. So, you know, and he's mobile enough. So, yeah, that's a concern, no question about it. And then on the other side, you're talking about the, the improved health of the, the Texans' defense, and I think specifically you're talking about the two rush ends. You're talking about their two rush ends, and we know that, that Flacco can move in the pocket, but Flacco is more of a, a target. Uh, you know, he's going to drop back, want to plant his foot, be on time with his throw, but these defenders and these edge rushers know where he's going to be. And so um, I, I'm sure that we're going to see those, you know, the, the play action where they roll them out, they move them a little bit to try to uh, make it more of a moving target. But, yeah, I, I definitely think it changes the way that you, you think about this game and why it's more concerning, obviously, than, than the first go-round. So we'll see how it plays out. But the other, on the other side of that, you know, Kevin Stefanski is a whole lot smarter than I am. Uh, Jim Schwartz is a whole lot smarter than I am. I mean, Alex Van Pelt, all these guys, they have a better idea – how to do these things and how to attack these uh, you know, other teams a lot more than, than any of us do. So you know that they're going to come up with a great game plan. It's just a matter of who's going to execute at a higher level, as it always comes down to. Brian Anderson joining us. Uh, B.A., the, I, I projected Joe Flacco's passing numbers out over 17 games, what they would be. I mean, he's been on such fire. I just thought, wonder what this would be. And as it turns <laughs> out, he would have led the... Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates – Price and coverage match limited by state law. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. 
With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. The NFL in passes, in completions, in yards, in touchdowns, in interceptions. I don't expect that to last, but I wonder, can the Browns put enough together offensively without Flacco having those nutty numbers to win a playoff game or two or three playoff games or who knows how many playoff games? Uh, I mean, yeah, I, I, the, the talent is there. There's no, no question about it. But I do think that, that Flacco is going gonna, is gonna to have to lead him. Um, you know, he's going to have to be the, the trend center. He's going to have to be able to distribute the ball and get it into the hands of the guys that can make the plays. Um, I'll be real interested to see the Browns running game. Um, I think that when Flacco first came on, the running game was struggling terribly. Um, you started to see it pick up a little bit towards the end of the season. And, and I think that once you get into the playoffs, that becomes, you know, huge for, for any team is, is to be able uh, to run the football effectively enough, especially when the Browns are so good off play action fake. And so it, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't mean you have to put up, huge numbers running the ball, but it, you have to garner the defense's attention. Um, and so that opens up that, that play action game and, and all of that. So I'll be interested to see how that, that factors in. And that certainly can help take a load off because you're right. It, it's, it's like you could pencil Flacco in for 40, 45 passes a game. That's tough to continue to do over the long haul, especially when you get into the playoffs and you're facing better teams, better defenses. Uh, you know, it's not, not quite – you know, not quite as easy. But listen, who would have thought that he would have done the things that he's already done? I mean, who thought that he would put up the numbers, the leadership, and do the things that he's done in the last month and a half? I don't think anybody. So, you know, who knows what this guy's capable of? We know that he's done it before, and he's, he's been Super Bowl MVP, Super Bowl champ, so he's been there, done that, and this, is, this moment's not going to phase him. Former Indians pitcher Brian Anderson joining us on the North Officer Chrysler Jeep Dodge Ram Hotline. Of course, he's the current uh, Rays color analyst, hosted some Brown shows in town for a good period of time, and massive Browns fan and former season ticket holder. So trust me, the credentials are where you want them. To state state (laughs) the least for B.A. If you'd have played left-handed quarterback in the NFL, they'd be a little bit better, but they're pretty dang good. We want The credentials are where we want them. Yeah, well, yeah, I, I, I'm going to stay in my lane, which yeah, obviously is baseball, but I'm going to tell you, I, I do love football. Um, I, I just absolutely love the sport. I think, in my opinion, it is the ultimate team sport. You, you think about running out 11 guys on a play, a particular play, 10 of the 11 could do their job, and the play still fails because one guy. I, I mean, it, it's, it is the ultimate team sport, and it's so uh, fun to watch, and that's why I've been so – uh, enamored maybe a little bit too strong, but why I've been so into this year's team, because you really feel that one through 53, it's as close knit of a Cleveland team as we've ever seen in any sport. And so, it, you know, it's just, uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm getting, I'm getting goosebumps uh, thinking about what this living room is going to look like tomorrow afternoon. All right. BA as a baseball player, you played in, in crummy weather in April, early in the season, and you were fortunate enough to play in some crummy weather, in, you know, in postseason games when it gets cold and, and baseball in the cold is not good, but <laughs> no. in, in Kansas city coming up and you know, you, you played for the Royals, you know, Kansas city weather can be really nasty. It's supposed to be, like around zero. 
for the Dolphins and the Chiefs, and maybe even below zero for that game. It's expected to be one of the coldest games in NFL history. I hate the way that the game gets changed when it's played in really crummy conditions. Is that just part of it, or is there anything the NFL should ever do? You know, the the retractable roofs to me are a wonderful idea, but that's not going to happen in every community. Is there anything they they should do, could do? Because, man, I, I just think it changes the game so much. It does. It does. But you know what? That, that's, that's part of it. That's just part of it. You know, the ice bowl. Everybody knows yeah. the ice bowl because it, it was that game and that cold. And that, that certainly changed the dynamics of those two teams, but it's an iconic game in NFL history. So, you know what? That, that's just the, the way it goes. And, and, and it happens to fall on that, and we're all going to tune in, and maybe it'll become an instant classic like those. This is what I will tell you, though, as a player – in that weather. Now, remember back in 97, uh, I think it was game four of that World Series in Cleveland. It was the coldest World Series game in, in Major League history. We had wind chills that were 16, 17 degrees for that game. It was snowing at times during BP hard enough that when I'm out in right center field shagging, I had a hard time seeing who was hitting in the cage because the skulls were coming in. And I ended up pitching the last three innings of that game, and I did it in short sleeves. And, and, I, and I, you know, the only guy on the field that really didn't have a, you know, a, a, a winter hat on, uh, you know, long sleeves. I went out there in short sleeves and I did it because, number one, I don't like pitching in sleeves. That, that, that's something I don't like to do. Number two, that's home for me. This is Cleveland. This is home. And it becomes a mindset that for these players, it becomes between the ears because it's cold. It's miserable for everybody who can block that out and just go execute their job. And that's why I wanted to go out there. Now, granted, when I was sitting down in that bullpen, I was layered up like you can't believe. But when my name got called and I had to get up and get ready to come into that game, everything came off, including, you know, the, the last set of sleeves that I had on over my jersey. And I said, you know what, it's cold and my arms are freezing, but I'm going to focus on my job. I'm going to get myself ready. And being a pitcher in baseball, it's a little bit of an advantage because you're always constantly moving as opposed to fielders who are standing around a lot of times in between pitches. So what about as opposed to hitters, BA? Well, and that's the other thing. That's where, again, with the mindset, cold, no one wants to pitch when it's that cold, but guess what? No one wants to hit either. And if you get a guy to hit the ball off the end of the bat, or you can jam him and put that buzz in his hands when it's that cold, it's going to last a couple of innings. I mean, it's miserable. It's miserable for everybody. It's who's going to be mentally tougher and say, you know what? Listen, this stinks, but it stinks for all of us. I'm going to go out there and focus on my job. But, but that, my mindset in those type of games was always when it's cold, at least I'm moving all the time. So once I get myself loose and warm, I'm going to stay loose and warm for that inning. And I know that that guy in the batter's box doesn't want to be there. I know he doesn't want to be there. It's miserable. It's cold. And so that's an advantage to me. And, and that's the way I always looked at it. All right, buddy, who wins? Who wins on Saturday? Come on. Are you yeah. really asking yeah, me that? I, I mean, the Cleveland Browns. <laughs> there he Cleveland goes. Browns. I, I just wanted yeah. to hear it. We're, we're just I running just a tally. Know, yeah, hey, did, did they end up going to Baltimore in week two? And does that become oh, the big story? Hey, that, that game right there will get a lot better uh, you know, viewing slot than, than a lot Flacco oh, yeah. going back to Baltimore. Listen, first things first. But I do think that the Browns find a way to, uh, to win this game on the road and beat them for a second time here in the last few weeks. B.A., thanks, buddy. Great to talk to you. You're the man. Talk soon. Yep. Uh, all right, boys, enjoy. We'll be firing up the text tomorrow. You know that. Yes, sir. I'm looking forward to it. 
Brian Anderson joining us on the North Olmsted Chrysler Jeep Dodge Ram Hotline. Andy's out goofing off having... Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Hey everyone, Boomer Esiason here. The NFL Draft is behind us and your favorite team is now gearing up for week number one. The free Odyssey app puts you right in the middle of the pro football conversation with the biggest sports radio stations from across the country. The local voices who know your team the best, giving you their unfiltered takes on the current state of your squad. It's always football season right here on the free Odyssey app. Fun. We, we're glad for him, aren't we? Over the moon. You know, I, I can't. People get to have fun that aren't me. <laughs> what a joy. I can't wait until we can no longer easily count up the number of playoff teams we've had here in Cleveland. And right now, when it comes to the Browns, we can easily count up the number of teams. This is the third team since the team returned in 1999 that is going to the playoffs. And I thought, yep, I remember when that happened. It was in 2020, Kevin Stefanski's first year, and it was in 2002, Butch Davis' second year. And I thought, I wonder what more we need to know about those teams. So I, I, just, I just called up their little pro football reference page, Dan, and did a little refreshing of my memory. Look at you. Oh, I, I just I thought, I wonder what this is. And I, it was actually kind of fun to look back because some of the things I didn't quite remember. My favorite part of the Stefanski era has been the fact that we can all sit here and go, well, we can bury that, you know, hasn't happened since Bernie Kosar, and we can bury that, hasn't happened since Brian Sipe, and we can bury that. Like, that's been the best part of this whole thing. You know, the Browns were in the playoffs enough during Marty Schottenheimer's run when Sam was here and everything else. I can't tell you how many times. I'd have to go look it up. And and they're in, you know, a number of times in a row and everything else. I didn't dwell on that because that was that was even before the team came back. Right. But I thought these two teams are the ones we always talk about and let's refresh our memories. So in in Stefanski's first year, they went 11 and 5 and they went 6 and 2 after the bye week. So they came out of the bye and made a great kind, kind of playoff push. It went 11 and 5 and then in the wild card round they beat the Steelers. That was the game where Kevin didn't coach because of COVID. And people wanted to fire him because he wasn't coaching that game because Alex Van Pelt was calling the plays. Remember Mm -hmm. that one? Oh, all too well. Yeah, they also played Pittsburgh in the final regular season game and then lost to Kansas City in the divisional round. And we all remember that painful game, and they had a chance to win that game. Key guys on that team. We know these guys. Baker, and Baker was really good. He 26 touchdowns, eight interceptions on the season, 3,500 yards. Nick Chubb played only 12 games, but he had 1,000 yards, scored 12 touchdowns. Kareem had 840 yards and six touchdowns. Mm -hmm. So that was the heyday of that combination, and they were really good together. Oh, gosh, yes. And then it was Jarvis Landry as the leading receiver, second leading receiver on that team. Two different guys, reception total and yardage. 
And I had to when I when I looked at and Odell was on the team. I was going to say it's not Odell. That's it's too not easy. Odell. No, that's too easy. Austin Hooper Whoa, was second in receptions. Wow, I forgot Hooper was. And here. And Richard Higgins was second in yardage. I forgot he was here too. And I thought, wow. Well, okay. I remember they were here, but I didn't remember they were that prominent in their role. Those are names I haven't heard in a minute. The leading tackler on that team, and this guy was part of that. Hey, who's our middle linebacker du jour who's going to lead the team in tackles? <laughs> that was the B.J. Goodson year. That's right. That's right. Followed by Malcolm Smith. That's right. Super Bowl MVP, Malcolm Smith. And of the seven leading tacklers on that team, only one is on the team that will play tomorrow. And that is Sione Takitaki. <laughs> Unbelievable! I know that's I, that that one kind of thought. I, I thought, wow, the leading tacklers from that playoff team, just what in 2020? That's mm-hmm. four years ago. Four years ago, not B, that long ago. B.J. Goodson, Malcolm Smith, Carl Joseph. I remember that one. Taki Taki, Sheldon Richardson. I people wanted to bring him back for a good period of time too. Sadly, yeah, injuries injuries kind of bit him. Yeah. Which is a bummer. Terrence Mitchell. He's a good dude. And Andrew Sandejo. Oh, boy. I'm sure there are people who are still – I'm sure there is going to be a coverage break at some point in this game, and there will be a Browns fan that will still yell about Andrew Sandejo. <laughs> Even though it won't be his fault, he'll still get yelled at. Man, that guy caught a lot of abuse, didn't he? He was awesome with uh, the Vikings, and he came here, and sadly he was perpetually the last uniform name that anybody saw as somebody ran into the end zone. I, that will stand out to me till the end of time. I have never seen a player take more abuse than Andrew Sandejo. Isn't that the truth? <laughs> and I he mean, wasn't, he, he wasn't, really did. He wasn't great, but the way that Browns fans made him sound, it really made it seem like Charlie Brown perpetually giving up home runs and watching the outfielders just turn around and go, oh, look, there goes the ball again. Yeah, you know. Like, <laughs> everybody made it seem like that was Andrew Sandejo. And it's like, no, he wasn't great. He just isn't also as bad as you thought he was. Now, you know what team was a lot of fun to look at? The first playoff team back since 99. And I, I covered this team, and I spent – a lot of time in the locker room, and I still had to be refreshed. It was pretty. It was pretty fun. It was the fourth season after the return, two thousand two, and Butch Davis was in his second season, and they were good after the bye week. They made a little little playoff run, going five and two after the bye to finish nine and seven, and that got Butch Davis into the playoffs. The coaching staff on that team. Bruce Arians was the offensive coordinator. Oh, it all co- this is like the Bruce Arians show. Everything somehow is coming back, to, back BA. to Bruce. It's perfect. Yeah. Foge Fazio was the defensive coordinator. On the defensive staff, Todd Bowles. Wow. He was called the nickel, the nickel secondary coach. And Chuck Pagano was the secondary coach. Wow. I did not realize how loaded the staff was. It was pretty good. Holy smokes. Um, that team lost to the Steelers 36-33 in that the playoff game. game. And that was the game where Kelly Holcomb went nuts in the playoffs with 429 yards and three touchdowns. I mean, it was a, it was a bummer that the Browns lost, but it was a really fun back-and-forth game. Now, you want something that's like, ah, this this is what we need to be aware of for tomorrow. Kelly Holcomb threw for 429 and three touchdowns, but the Browns had only 38 yards rushing. 
and they lost in a shootout to the Steelers. Why? Maybe, you know, not running the ball didn't help. Let's yeah. just put it that way. Inability to take time off the clock. Key guys on that team back in 2002, as we look back at the other two teams that made the playoffs since the Browns returned, Tim Couch played in mm-hmm. 14 games, 18 touchdowns, 18 interceptions. Yeah. William Green had a pretty good year. That's right. 887 yards rushing and Run six William touchdowns. Run. Yeah, that was a great call by Jimmy. Uh-huh. And our buddy Jamel White. Nice. Key part of that team. Jamel had 470 yards rushing, 63 receptions for another 450 yards. He was a good third down back. Oh, he was terrific. He was a very good third down back. if you're listening, congratulations. We thank you for your work in 2002. And I'm not just saying that because he joins us. I would have said it anyway. Leading receiver yardage-wise, Quincy Morgan. Q. 964 yards. I liked Q. He had seven touchdowns. Leading receiver numbers-wise, receptions. KJ, Kevin Johnson, six hundred uh, sixty-seven. He was good. Yeah, with seven hundred and three yards. Dennis Dennis Northcutt and Andre Davis also on that Andre team. Andre Davis. Andre is a wide receiver. Remember Andre? Uh-huh. Um, Absolutely. Caught the bomb from uh Jeff Garcia. I think is that still the longest touchdown? It was for the longest time that was the longest touchdown in Broad's history. I know that's not what we're talking about. Sorry. Our kicker, Phil Dawson. But Phil wasn't necessarily automatic, Phil, back then. He was twenty two of twenty eight on the season. And the punter, they went through some pretty good punters. Our buddy Dave Zastadil mm-hmm. wasn't on that team. It was Chris Gardaki. That's right. But that's I, right, that's it right. was fun to look back and, and take a look at those two teams. And now we have another team. And the remnants of that 2020 team are still here. You know, there are some guys. But, man, that just goes to show you how things change in the National Football League. Because it wasn't that long ago. And you know it was Baker and Case Keenum. Oh, they're both they're they're both gone. Mm-hmm. Nick and Kareem are still here, mm-hmm. but DeErnest is gone. Dontrell Hilliard was on that team. He's not here. Jarvis and and Odell are gone. I mean the wide receiver crews completely changed. Yeah, they overhauled that whole gone. thing. Harrison Bryant and Njoku were on that team, but so was DPJ. He's gone. JoJo Natson. Oh, that's a name I've heard in a minute. Jamie Gillen was the punter, but. The only thing that stayed relatively consistent is the offensive coaching staff. Because I think the yep. only person that left off of there is Drew Petzig, who and I'm sure there's a couple of ancillary pieces that I'm forgetting who were a part of, you know, that Cleveland coaching staff. Bill Callahan was on was the offensive line. Right. But Drew Chad Petzig O'Shea. heading to Arizona. Right. And Chad O'Shea was still and he's still here. Hmm. Van Pelt, of course. Yep. Stump Mitchell. I mean, there's a lot of guys that are still a part of that are still inside of this building. And the ownership is the same. Andrew Barry is the same. Yep. It's kind of fascinating to look back and see, you know, because teams that make the playoffs here become a part of our history. You know, we remember them. Sometimes we worship them. But that that Butch Davis team back in the day, and I I always wonder what would have happened if if that regime had stayed in place a little bit. I thought Butch was pretty good. And Butch was also the GM of that team. He had Pete Garcia as his right hand man, and Pete was kind of the uh, kind of the Paul De Podesta of that time, because Pete had been with Butch in Miami, and just kind of you, you didn't hear much from him. You didn't didn't know much about him, but he was kind of like the brains behind the throne, kind of like De Podesta is now. Fascinating.
It is. It's it's funny to look at those and then thinking of the similarities between them. I mean, you're, you're talking two teams there. You know, I I vaguely remember the 2002 team. Like it's it's very fuzzy. We'll put it that way. Well, it should be. You were a kid. Yeah. The the 2020 team I remember a lot better, and that was a well, team. Well, that was it should. That was 18 years later. Way to go, Dan. <laughs> We even talk i don't know honestly I, I should just set you up and just sit here and go uh-huh if there uh-huh, had been a mr Phelps, if there uh-huh. had been a playoff team in between you wouldn't have remembered those either because of those college days uh-huh <laughs> what else mr Phelps? <laughs> <laughs> no it's more like this team being built around its defense the way that it is and the fact that like this team really is going to become some kind of a legend when it's all said and done well, it is for five quarterbacks' I mean, sake. Exactly. Like we're going to talk about that, Dan, forever in yeah. Cleveland. For five I mean, quarterbacks' sake, we're going to talk about it. Kids who are twelve and thirteen now are going to say, "When I was a kid, do you remember they had five starting quarter? Can you name the five starting quarterbacks?" <laughs> That's going to be a trivia yeah, question. Absolutely, it's a Cleveland trivia question. Absolutely, Heck, people might not even be able to name them all now. Again, and Joe Flacco for the rest of his life, is going to be able to drink for free in Cleveland. Oh, without and, question. And that's, frankly, kind of good. If they win this game, good. and even if they lose, Joe Flacco's going to drink in the city for life. Absolutely. The only way that that guy doesn't have a tab picked up is if he brings his five kids with him, because that's that's pricey. Can you, uh, can you rejoice that the Browns are playing in a warm-weather city in a controlled environment? Might you feel differently after you watch the game after the Browns game coming up on Saturday? Bad weather this weekend. National Football League playoff games. Good or bad? It's Baskin and Phelps here on The Fan. We're going to talk weather and football in just a just a little bit. Jim's in Cleveland. Hey, Jim. How are you, Jim? Yeah, how are you doing? Um, hey, I was just thinking that the Browns were already in Houston, and they're not even in Houston, and I don't understand why they didn't leave a day earlier. And I called Brown's headquarters and talked to the guy, and he said, well, they always leave the day before. I'm like, yeah, but this is a bad weather thing. Why would they – I don't understand why they didn't go down earlier, a day earlier. It doesn't make any sense. Why would they go earlier? So that they could get out of the weather, familiarize themselves with the area, get in the stadium, and do their final walkthrough like they did today down there. And now they're out of this BS up here. They're used to it up here, Jim. They practice indoors. Yeah, but they're, too. Not, yeah, but, they're but yeah, but they're playing up here. They're playing down there, like they did three weeks ago. Okay. All right. I think it's a little, I think it's a little bit more important game, but you know, hey, see what happens. I'm just saying, I would have left a day earlier, gotten familiar with the area, instead of going with uh, you know leaving to, to you know I don't know this afternoon, this evening, in a snowstorm. But whatever. All right. Okay. Thank you, Jim. They're, they're creatures of habit, and you leave the day before a game. That, that's the way it works. They, I mean, Jim, they're such creatures of habit. I mean, everything happens, boom, 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 and there it goes. On my list of things, if this were to head south on Monday, when the Browns flew out of Cleveland is like 80 out of 100, 90 out of 100. Like, I don't think that's going to be the thing that does them in. If they ran, if they would have looked at the weather report and you know that this team and you know that 
the airport and all that has the top tier using the, you know, whatever the, the national weather service. That's what I was trying to think of has the best of the best information right at their hands at all times to figure out when they wanted to leave. It was probably determined that the weather that was coming through here today may not be at the nasty level when they're taking off, that it will be two hours before, three hours. And can I, I just double check the forecast. Mm -hmm. There's no snow in the forecast. Yeah. And I think he means so. traveling across that band that's going across the country okay. that's going to hit Kansas City. Again, I am 90. I, I will go out on a limb and say that they have the best of the best weather information that is out there to make sure that they get down to Houston in time. They'll they'll make it. It'll on, be fine. Right. On my list of concerns and on my list of reasons, if the Browns were to come up short, this one doesn't even register. Yeah, I would agree with that. And they'll do everything they need to do, Jim, practice-wise here. Don't worry about it. They'll get their tomahawk steaks. They're used to it. And they don't have to play in the conditions that the Chiefs and Dolphins are going to have to play in tomorrow night. And they won't have to play in the conditions that the Steelers and Bills might have to play in in Buffalo with all that snow, if that actually happens. And though you know Pittsburgh and Buffalo are cold-weather cities and Kansas City is a cold city in the wintertime, right. um, Nobody likes to play in that stuff. And I, I just, I, I don't think playoff games should be neutral site. No, but no way. But man, I've, I've just, you know, I, I grew up in, in Northeast Ohio. I lived in Texas for five years. You don't, you don't deal with weather down there. You deal with hurricanes. You deal with a lot of rain, at least where I was in Texas, mm -hmm. but you don't deal you know with snow. And you don't deal with too much cold at all, but I moved home. So, you know, don't, it's not that I, not that I despise the cold weather in the winter because I, I moved back and I've chosen to live here my adult life, man. I don't like football in those conditions. See, I hate what it does to the game because I think the game is such a, it's a beautifully played game when it's on a clean track and I, I hate to see it crappy conditions i just hate it i am so torn on this because i'm with you i like the idea you're, of having you're a mr packer fan though well right i am with you on a chunk of this where it's like i i like having the best of the best and the perfect conditions that we could possibly make we now have the technology to have as close to perfect football conditions as humanly possible anywhere in the country we have at, that at ability any, at any time at any time. We have that ability. We have that technology all over the place, even down to the fact that we can grow natural grass and roll it outside to get sun and roll it back in so that you can play on natural grass. I, we have this ability. Okay. But then I close my eyes and I see Brett Favre dropping back and hitting Donald driver on slant routes as there's, you know, a bunch of snow. And I see a lot of these games where at the break, you know, they're having to throw to commercials and you're seeing a bunch of volunteers come out with shovels and shovel off the yard lines. And you see all of these things and you're like, this is cool. Like, there's something about it that's just playoff December, January football. That you're just like, okay, this is something that is different from every other sport that we play, that it can take place in all of the elements and the elements become that neutralizer. And there's another part of me in my head that's like, Kansas City's going to play in negative 15 weather, and it's going to be cold as all get out, and no one's going to enjoy this. And there's another part of me that looks at it and goes, all these people who are sitting here paying money to watch this game are going to freeze their 
butts off just so that they could be there. And like part of me is like, yeah, that's cool. And another part of me is like, why? Why do you want frostbite? Like, why do you want to not be able to feel your toes? Why do you want to huddle in the bathroom so that you can feel your finger again? Like, why do you want to huddle in the bathroom so that you can feel your fingers again? Like, why Why is this? I'm so torn on this entire ordeal. The Steelers-Bills game, cold, but wind gusts expected near 50 miles an hour. Right. Like, that's not fun. That, it's, it's not enjoyable. But, but to- what, is there an alternative? You know, and there was, there's been some rumbling that they would move that game here to Cleveland, the Steeler-Bill game, because of because of the conditions in Buffalo. Well, it's still going to be frigid here. Cold. It's not going to be like it's going to be next week. You know, that, that weather that's in Kansas City and is going to hit Chicago, I think, Sunday, will be here by Mondays, apparently the word, and we're supposed to yeah. have really cold temperatures all week. Mm-hmm. And, like, I... For every game that I look at and go, why are we doing this? I could close my eyes and I could see Josh Allen whipping passes, you know, and and you could see, and I, and I know he's, he's one of the memories that comes with this folks. And I apologize. It's not trying to be a jerk or anything like that. I could see John Elway hitting passes in the snow. Like, yeah. Okay. That's all, that's all great because you're looking at NFL films. Right. And it's this beautiful glory that comes with it. Right. And John Facenda's voice on top of it going in the Be- snow. Because you weren't there at the time. The frozen Freezing your you know what off. AccuWeather Ac- calling field. for more than seven inches of snow at Highmark Stadium in Buffalo on Sunday. Jerry Kramer looking at okay, the Cowboys great, great. offensive line. Here's Bart Starr. They can't stop sweep left. <laughs> like there's that. Bart lost seven toes. Right. And not true. No, um, it's it's not true. But, I mean, he froze his rear end off. And, like, and everybody did. And it was miserable. And you I, know what I, it is more than anything? I'm to so me, torn on it, Jeff. I well, really am. The thing about it for me more than anything is the way the game is played. Again, I, I think you know, football is such a game of, of, of speed and and showing off your physical talents, and that gets completely taken away. And I honestly, a team that might not be, you know, let's say a team that didn't make the playoffs but was built to kind of grind it out would have a much better chance against than than a team that might be built, you know, as a high flying team. Right. You know, I, I think of the you know, Eric Coriel days with with the Chargers with with Fouts and you know, and Kellen Senior and mm-hmm. Chuck Muncie. That team, that team was so. Great to watch, but cold weather just negates so much of that. Exactly. And I'm the guy till the end that agrees with both you and Andy. Bulldoze it and build the dome. Like, every time we have another nasty game, I'm like, bulldoze it, build the dome. Like, this is ridiculous. Why are we doing this? And Christmas then Eve on 15, a game. 15 years later, you're like looking at the, at the film. Right. The Christ, you know, that Christmas Eve game against the Saints that was attended by dozens who I'm pretty sure there are a chunk of them on top of it who are like, you know, I still don't have feeling in my thumb if I poke right here under the knuckle. Like, there, <laughs> there's there's so much of that on top of it that I'm like, forget it, bulldoze it, build the dome. Like, if, if Lambo were to ever have cracks in it and they couldn't fix it or anything like that, I yeah. would probably be like, yeah, bulldoze it, build the dome. Like, I, I'd probably end up saying that kind of thing, and it would bum me out as I said it, but it's the smart way to do this. And it's just because we now have the technology to do it. And we now have the ability, and it's, again, it's not like we're 
we're going outside in Berea and we're holding tryouts where we've got people coming from East Lake and Willoughby and Middleburg Heights and Ashtabula and, and Youngstown and all that stuff to come play football because we're, you know, built for the elements up here in the north. No, it's your wide receiver went to Alabama. Your quarterback went to Clemson. He's from Georgia. Your running back is from Georgia. Like, it's not like we're getting guys from around the area that have played in this and know how to play through that advantage. Would you go to the Steelers-Bills game? No. On Sunday? No. If it were moved to Cleveland and it was 20 degrees here and they needed fannies in the seats or something, I would still think between Buffalo and Pittsburgh, boy, they'd, they'd still fill up our stadium. But would you go? No. I get a six-pack and a blanket. I get my own bathroom. <laughs> Why am I leaving that? The, the NFL has built their product for me to watch it on television. They sure have. They have built their product with the television being numero uno. The fans in the seats are secondary to who is sitting at home and watching it. And that's... That's, to me, that's absolute fact. Why Why am I going to get away from that? Especially on top of the fact that well, I think Fox is going to do a chunk of these in 4K. So now it's even going to be clearer. Why am I leaving? Why do? Why even bother? I can, if Do I want to be around a bunch of Browns fans as I watch it? I'll call my buddies. Hey, come on down. I got a big TV. Bring more beer. We'll have some nachos. It'll be great. Like, why would I do that? Because I'll pay less for the 24-pack of beer and that and whatever nachos and chicken wings I could even order from a restaurant that I wouldn't even go down to the ball to the stadium and I get my own bathroom and it's warm. You have a bathroom in your house? Yeah, I know it's shocking. I don't have to go outside to use it either. I don't have to walk up a flight of stairs through a concourse, bump into six people, and stand next to some guy to use it. Like this is great. Well, why we, leave? We have things to talk with Chad Brown about. Chad played linebacker in the National Football League. He's from Colorado. Played at Colorado, so he knows all about bad football or bad weather. I know about bad football, too. Um, played for the Steelers, then went to Seattle, played with Pete Carroll, who just got kicked to a different job. Then went to New England, played with the Steelers, played with the Steelers in between being with the Patriots. So that means he played for Bill Belichick, who just got kicked to a new job, maybe. So Chad's coming up next. Can't wait to talk to him about the weather about Pete Carroll, about Bill on Baskin and Phelps. Menigan's in for Andy. Welcome back to Baskin and Phelps. I'm Jeff Phelps. My partner today, Dan Menigan, in for Andy Baskin. We're really happy to have our next guest back with us. Chad Brown, former NFL linebacker. He played with Seattle. He played with Pittsburgh. He played with New England. He covers the Broncos for Nine News in Denver. Went to the University of Colorado. Co-host of Kill You With the Truth, podcast about Colorado sports and an ESPN radio host. And again, he joins us on the North Homestead Chrysler Jeep Dodge Ram Hotline. Chad, good to have you back. How are you, Chad? I am fantastic, fellas. Uh, how are you guys doing on a... Uh, a football Friday with uh, maybe one of the best football weekends of the year coming up. I think it is. Uh, we get the first That's game great, to man. kick it off, and, and we want your thoughts on the Browns and the Texans in a minute. We were just talking about weather, Chad, and the forecast for Kansas City sounds brutal. Temperatures at zero or below zero. Wind chills certainly below zero. And then in Buffalo this weekend uh, on Sunday, up to seven inches of snow, wind gusts of 50 miles an hour, uh, at least in the forecast, you you went to the University of Colorado. You played in crummy weather. You played in Pittsburgh. You played for New England. Seattle's no picnic weather-wise. Do you like games in really bad weather? Is it okay for the players? Does it does it take away from the game too much, Chad? 
I'd love to know what your it, thoughts are. The, the weather is, is, is a tough thing to, to overcome. So while you can try to be like Bill Cowher told me, Chad, cold is a state of mind. And I told him, Coach, my mind is telling me I'm cold. <laughs> I'm from Southern California. You know, I know I played football in Colorado, but I'm a SoCal guy. So the coldest game I played in in Southern California, we played in the, in the uh, mid-30s once in a championship game. But never things like I experienced in New England and Pittsburgh and even some of those really cold, rainy Seattle games were down into the 30s and 20s. Um, the, the weather games, in some ways, kind of cancel out the schemes and the X's and O's, and the game gets determined by which team is best able to handle the weather the best. Um, so for this Chiefs and Dolphins game, I can't think of a team worse equipped to play in that weather than the Miami Dolphins. I, 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 how does Mike McDaniels prepare his team for that? Do they, they go practice in an ice rink? Is there even one in Florida where they can do that? How do they get themselves prepared for that? It's, and it slows you down as an athlete. Your footing's not as good. Your hands don't work as good. Your feet, your knees, your ankles, they don't bend as well in that kind of weather. So you've got to be able to modify not just, you know, your handling of the football, but the things that you do as an athlete on the field have to change. So for the, the Chiefs versus the Dolphins, Obviously, the Chiefs are prepared for this. They play in Kansas City. They've had home playoff games for years and years and years there. They've played in cold weather games. They'll be far more prepared for this mentally and physically than the Miami Dolphins ever could be. And just the, the Dolphins' style of offense, uh, so much based on speed, well, weather has a way of kind of reducing that factor because the things are just listed. You as an athlete don't move as well. But also the field conditions change. The field's far harder, far slipperier. It can get almost frozen. and You can feel like you're tap dancing on that field. So – uh, the weather being a factor, I think the Chiefs are a more experienced team, obviously, in the playoffs than the Dolphins are. But the weather being a factor almost makes that almost almost completely one-sided going towards the Kansas City Chiefs. All right, Chad, we got a playoff game here in Cleveland that will be down in the Dome in Houston. So don't have to worry about weather or any of that stuff here. From the outside looking in, how improbable is this Browns team to be in the position that it is? It's It's been amazing. To take a, a 30-year-old Joe Flacco and go – uh, on a winning streak to, to end the season um, for this now to be the fourth quarterback under center for the Cleveland Browns. you, you got to give a tip of the cap to the, the coaching staff, the players in that locker room to still keep chopping wood despite the ever-changing uh, guy under center for them. And when you think about the quarterback, we always say it's the most important position of all of the sports. For your team to be in the playoffs after having four different guys under center and now with the fourth guy – Hit a, a, a bit of a hot streak here. Uh, this is an amazing thing to watch, and I have such an appreciation for that because I know how difficult that is just from a culture and a morale perspective when it's in the locker room. I've been on teams where the backup quarterback is forced to play the rest of the season, and everyone's just like, oh, man, we got no shot now. So for Cleveland to be on their fourth quarterback and be where they are, I think speaks to the amazing job that they've done there, keeping that confidence going in that locker room. Chad, when the Browns played the Texans in Week 16, they had 30 carries for 54 yards. It was under two yards a carry. Flacco threw the ball like crazy, though, and Amari Cooper had 265 yards receiving. Would you think the Browns have to run the ball at least decently to win that football game, or can Flacco and Amari and David Njoku light it up through the air and win that game? 
I mean, obviously, D'Amico Lyons is going to try to have something in place for Amari Cooper. He's not going to let him go for 250-plus again. And that's, to your point, whether I think the run game comes in. The running game doesn't have to be super successful. It just needs to be successful enough and sprinkled in enough where it forces the defense to be honest. Even if the opposing defensive coordinator does not uh, keep continually, you know, put his base defense on the field and those kinds of things. Unfortunately, for a defensive coordinator, NFL players can still be pretty dumb. If you do a play-action fake, you act like you're going to run the ball. As a linebacker, I've been taught since I was six years old, I see that run play, I've got to take a step forward. And then that's where the play-action pass opportunity opens up behind those linebackers and in front of those safeties. So the, the Cleveland Browns do think they can go back and throw the ball 50-plus times a game and not force the Houston Texans defense, to be honest, and respect the run game, I think that's a fool's errand. You've got to sprinkle it in. You've got to keep the the linebackers aware that the run could be a possibility. Otherwise, you're just going to get back into their zones and make life difficult for you, force those guys to step forward, and then get that opportunity for that space behind them with play-action pass. Chad Brown joining us, former NFL linebacker, played for a, a couple different teams, Pittsburgh, Seattle, a little bit for New England as well, now doing work in Denver at 9 News, hosting a pod. You can hear him, Compass Media Network's doing college football games, a little bit on a Pac-12 network as well. So, You're busy, Chad. Yeah, guy who doesn't sleep very often, for darn sure. <laughs> um, so, Chad, this is, this is going to be really in the weeds and nerdy, but you brought up the play-action game, and the one thing that's really shown up is the fact that Joe Flacco can sell that play-action like a champ, you know, really get those linebackers moving. When on the defensive side of the ball, when you get a quarterback like a Flacco who's really worked to sell that play action, how much does it really mess with the defense? It really messes with the defense. Again, as a linebacker, it's almost instinctual. When you see that run action, everything in your previous football training tells you to step forward. You've got to step forward to be able to take on that offensive guard. You've got to be able to step forward to get into that center guard gap to make sure you're, if you've got a gap responsibility, I'm where I'm supposed to be. So it's essentially a way, particularly the way that Joe Flacco sells it, to get those linebackers, to get them into a spot to start the play, and then they've got to scramble and then get back to their pass drop area. And as I pointed out, that creates gaps in defenses. That creates some vertical gaps and some horizontal gaps. So if you can continue to do that with Joe Flacco and have him sell that, uh, the best quarterbacks really sell that play-action fake. They stick that ball in the running back's uh, belly in a very demonstrative way. Um, and you as a linebacker, that becomes that eye candy that takes you out of your normal spot that you would like to be and it makes you further away from your responsibility where you need to get back to once it becomes a pass play. Uh, that is a, a tremendous stressor upon a defense, particularly that second level, whether we're talking about linebackers down the box or that strong safety who comes down to the box. Chad, you spent a lot of time in Seattle before Pete Carroll arrived there as head coach, playing for other coaches, Dennis Erickson and Holmgren and, and Mora. But I'm sure you know your buddies talked to you about Pete Carroll. You experienced Bill Belichick. And here are two of the legends in coaching out this week in the NFL. And Pete getting kicked to a different job and Bill maybe going to a different job. But what did you think when you heard about both of the – the guys in their 70s moving on? Well, uh, while I didn't play for Pete in Seattle, I ended up doing a coaching internship in Seattle with Pete. So I got a chance to spend about seven weeks with Pete, and it was an amazing, amazing experience. 
one of the most positive people I've ever been around, one of the most high-energy people I've ever been around. The Pete that you see at press conferences chomping on the gum and stumbling over his words because he's so excited, that's exactly who Pete is. He is authentically that guy. Um, and uh, he made the most pleasurable working environment I had ever been in. Training camp is a grind for everybody, whether you're a player or a coach, or in my case, an, an interim coach. And, you know, to wake up at, at 5 o'clock every morning and, and try to be at the facility by 5.45, I actually woke up happy because I knew we were going to have a ton of fun. It was going to be a great day. It was going to be a fun day. There was going to be something, you know, that was going to make me belly laugh because Pete was, he's all about that culture of fun and passion and energy for the game. So the basketball hoop in the team meeting and, uh, you know, going back and looking at guys in the rooms, players in the rooms, their record. So if you went to Ohio State and you played against Michigan and there was another Michigan guy in the room, well, there was a chance that Pete was going to call you guys up and have a free throw shooting contest in the middle of the team meeting. So those kinds of things just made every day fun. I had never been to a place like that where a free throw contest could determine you know, what direction practice was going to go. Because people not only play it out for, hey, Michigan, Ohio State, this guy beat you two times, you only beat him once, here's your chance to get revenge, but then he would hinge something in practice. We, we will cut off conditioning in practice if Michigan finds a way to win this one. So those kind of competitive scenarios where he's honing your competitive juices while at the same time making it a very fun passion, energy-filled environment, uh, he was absolutely the best at creating that kind of culture. And the fans for the Seahawks and that Seahawks organization is going to have to get to, used to whoever comes in next because there's no way they're going to be able to replicate what Pete Carroll brought every day. All right, Chad, you also played for Bill Belichick, who I don't totally know would go the same direction as Pete Carroll with those things, but definitely had his own way of doing it. What's your fondest memory with Bill Belichick? Man, um, Okay, so when I got to the Patriots, I was in year 13 of my NFL career. So I played previous 12 years with, with Pittsburgh and in Seattle. I learned more about winning football in that 13th year, the small little nuances and details, than I learned in my previous 12 years combined. So to your point, a completely different atmosphere than what Pete Carroll was doing up in Seattle. And, you know, it just goes to show there's more than one ways to, to win a championship. Um, there's more than one way to sack a quarterback. So uh, I, I was trying to pick up and learn from everybody. But for Bill, the amount of detailed teaching was so intricate. Um, so when we watch a football game this weekend, at some point we're going to see the defense call a timeout at the last second. And the broadcasters are going to say, oh, my gosh, the Cleveland Browns didn't like what they saw from Houston Texans offense, and they had to call a timeout. Well, in New England – Bill would take advantage of that moment. He called it what he called a Kodak moment. So in a critical situation in the ball game, uh, end of the half, fourth quarter, some critical third down or fourth down situation, we're going to let the offense break the huddle. We're going to allow them to line up. We're going to allow the quarterback to begin his cadence. We're going to allow the receiver to do his motion. And then we're going to call a last second timeout. Not because we don't know what to do, because we want to get a snapshot. We want to get a picture of what you want to run offensively. Now we've seen the personnel on the field. We've seen the alignment that you want to be in. We've seen the motion. We've heard the quarterback's cadence. And because Bill and his staff have studied so much, chances are 
for that critical moment in the ball game, you as the opposing offense, you don't have ten plays for that situation on your play sheet. You've only got one or two. So we've probably gotten a look at your favorite play for that situation. So either you're going to run that play that we just saw, now we're ready for it, or now you've got to go to your second or your third best play. So simply by the proper use of a timeout, knowing how and when to use that timeout, he was able to rob teams of their favorite play for that situation. In that particular Kodak moment, I was the third-string inside linebacker that year. I played outside to finish the season, but I was a third-string inside linebacker. I think it was week four or five of the season. He's like, Chad, we haven't rehearsed you with the Kodak moment. So then during practice, Teddy Bruschi would come out. I would go in, and my job was to call that last-second timeout so they could get the Kodak moment. So even making sure the third-string inside linebacker was prepared to run the Kodak moment that's how detailed they were in New England. Jeez. That's awesome. That's fantastic. The Kodak moment. I love it, Chad. Who wins? Browns, Great Texans. Stuff. What do you think? Uh, you know, uh, I think the, the, the Browns uh, are, are just a, a, a better team. The way their defense is playing, you know, C.J. Stroud has been off the charts as, as a rookie. But the Browns defense, which is second in the league in pressure percentage, almost 45%, sixth in the league in sacks with almost 50 sacks. I think they are able to affect C.J. Stroud, put some pressure on him, uh, and that ends up being probably the difference in the ballgame. I think the Browns' offense and Joe Flacco will play well, but that Browns' defense affecting the young quarterback is going to be significant. Appreciate you being with us, buddy. Thank you, Chad. Thanks, Chad. All right, thanks. Let's go to the North Homestead Chrysler Jeep Dodge Ram Hotline. He's Tim May from Letterman Row. Hi, Tim. Tim, when you retired from the dispatch, who did you get paid? <laughs> oh, man, I got – Hundreds of thousands of people paid. I mean, I think I increased the uh, when I when I opted to go to a dot com route. You know, when they lured me out of retirement, I think I got a lot of dot com guys paid. I think there's a lot of people that owe me a lot of money. I should think ten percent finders fee anyway for yeah, those gigs. Absolutely, huh? I would think so. I mean, I would I would also if I was the uh, I don't know. This is an easy thing to say. If I was the AD at any at any school A, B, C, and D, like if I'm the AD at Texas, I go to Steve Sarkeesian. By the way, Texas is one of the blue bloods, long-time blue bloods, and it's back. I would just say, nah, you know, if you want that job that bad, go ahead and take it, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, seriously, why do you – you know, Jimmy Sexton doesn't have to rule the world, you know? Why do you have to uh, acquiesce every time a job comes open – uh, the, the amount of money you're paying your head football coach has to go up, but the but but you can't find uh, you know fifty thousand dollars a year uh, for each of your your uh, your football players uh, to get paid. You know, it just rings really hollow to me. The whole the whole kit and caboodle rings really hollow to me. But but I will say this: having the right guy, large and in charge, uh, definitely pays for any big time college football program. And the greatest example of all is Alabama, uh, pre-Nick pre Saban. As you knew, as you all know, I've said it many times, I grew up going to Alabama home games with my dad, my older brother, back in the early 60s when Bear Bryant walked on water, et cetera. But uh, the, the chasm between a big-time football between Bear Bryant and Gene Stallings and then between Gene Stallings and Nick Saban shows it is not just a push button job. You got to know what you're doing and have a plan, et cetera. 
Nick Saban was worth that because he proved uh, better than anybody in history that he definitely had a plan and stuck with it. But the guys you're bringing in and the guys you're talking about here, some of them have only been head coaches for one, two, three, four years or something. That's crazy to be talking about paying them anywhere close to Nick Saban money uh, to come be the successor to Nick Saban. But other than that, I have no opinion. Yes. Tim, did it change the bar, Nick's success at Alabama, just in the expectations of, of what schools are thinking? Because, as you said, I mean, he was he was phenomenal there. And you know, all the national titles, did it change the bar and maybe put unrealistic expectations on some of these programs? Or was that a good thing that he raised that bar? Well, it was a good thing for Alabama. I mean, there, there sure. are Alabama fans who are – just became, um, you know, went through puberty or whatever over the last uh, 17 years. And since then, who have been born, who think Alabama has always been this way. It has not always been this way. It's been this way in some great stretches through its history, going back to to Wallace Wade and and other guys. But, uh, uh, you know, he just raised the bar. Well, what, what Nick Saban did was he raised the bar on, yes, this is possible, if you are organized, if you're if you pay attention to detail, and uh, you get the right people around you, the main thing is the getting the right people around you aspect of it. Um, that's where he has always excelled. I'll, I'll never forget, like several years ago, uh, Alabama was part of an ESPN, I think, you know, for one of another term, hard knocks thing through training camp, and uh, not that college football coaches ever show you everything by any stretch, but I remember there was this shot of this morning staff meeting and I forgot how many people I counted in the you know if you can stop action now I think people know that by now uh, on your TV when you DVR stuff but uh, I can't remember how many I counted but I swear there were at least 20 in, in what you could see and this was just from the camera angle looking toward Nick Saban you know who knows how many people were around him uh, around the camera guy my point is he really raised the bar in that aspect of things of bringing in a lot of people uh, within the rules, but to further the cause of winning football games. You know, I don't know if the cause of winning football games is worth everything that everybody puts into it from a monetary standpoint, but man, it sure does make the alumni happy and the current student uh, body happy and the alumni, the, uh, what they call the subway alumni is what they used to call it for Notre Dame happy. Uh, yeah, he raised the bar. He showed what can be done. He also showed that you can complain about changes uh, just because they do change a lot of things. But once changes are made, you better roll. You better you better get with the program. That's what he did. That's what Dabo Sweeney has failed to do. It's probably a reason, <clears throat> unless something weird happens in the next 24 hours, Dabo Sweeney, who looked like the heir apparent to Nick Saban four or five years ago, probably is not going to get that job. But, you know, who knows, right? Absolutely. The legend Tim May joining us. You can read him at Letterman Row, Urban's Take, his podcast. Of course, Tim May, it's the Tim May Show, right? Or is it the Tim May Podcast, Tim? It's uh, the Tim May Show. And That's then it. also, during a season, I do a thing with Urban Meyer called Urban's Take. Yes, sir. He he, he, just, he didn't really want to get into, because uh, we basically had our last one before the national championship game, and he didn't want to do a special one just for this. But, you know, Urban and, Urban and Nick Saban have both carved their own niches, big-time niches in major college football showing what can be done. Don't give me any excuses. Just give me the results. All right, Buckeyes hopped in the transfer portal, brought in a quarterback. What do fans need to know about Will Howard? 
He's about six four, six five, depending on where you where you look. He's about two two forty, two forty five, depending on where you look. Uh, he's a proven commodity in terms of making of playmaking. Uh, he's won a conference championship with Kansas State. I repeat, he won a conference championship with Kansas State. Uh, he's a we he's a Wheeler dealer. He's uh, I like to use the I'm sure I'll use the term daring do. He's uh, really good on daring do. Uh, I'm sure they'll use that term a lot in the next uh, 12 months. And uh, here's the thing. I still believe there's going to be competition in the spring, but this is a guy that started a, you know, a couple of seasons uh, for Kansas State. Evan Brown started one game for Ohio State and left after the first quarter because he got hurt again. So it looks like things are pretty <clears throat> stable in the quarterback situation at Ohio State going into the spring. I still expect to be there's some form of uh, competition, but he brings you in a proven commodity at quarterback. Is he Dan Marino? No. Is he C.J. Stroud? No. Is he a combination? Is he a bigger, maybe stronger, maybe faster, maybe better passer version of J.T. Barrett? Very good possibility. That's what Urban Meyer's take was on him. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, speaking of Urban's take with Tim May, subtitle, get that. But uh, but but the bottom line, I mean, it feels like an upgrade from what they had this year because the one thing he brings to the table, and it's what Urban pointed out, and you know anybody else can see is he is a quarterback that not only can run but is willing to run. And uh, we all saw last week with Josh Allen, you know. Once you call that play, you've got a guy that can get it done. And uh, Ohio State didn't have that this past year with Kyle McCord. In college football, you've got to have that if you want to uh, compete on the highest level, which is what Ohio State does. And if you want to compete with the elite, uh, you've got to have a quarterback who can run and shows he's sweet. I just wanted to get that last rhyme in there. I like that a lot. That was really good. Tim May yeah, from Letterman hey, Row. Read it, up, read it in my tweet. Go ahead now. <laughs> Uh, Michigan, congratulations, national champs. All of the coaching news with Pete Carroll and Nick Saban and Bill Belichick has kind of buried the Jim Harbaugh's coming to the NFL narrative. Is Harbaugh going to coach at Michigan next year, or is he going to coach in the NFL? Here's the thing. Here, here's where I'll give Jim Harbaugh credit uh, in the realm of a question like that. And I remember asking him at the Big Ten meetings a couple of years ago after he you know, made that move, tried to get the Minnesota job, Vikings I'm talking about, not Gophers. And, uh, man, I could, have taken that a, I, could, I could have taken that a lot of directions. Like, he didn't want to go underground, things like that. I like but, I, but I digress. Uh, and then they turned him down, really. I mean, they said, no, no, thank you. But this is a guy that got to the Super Bowl and lost to his brother in the Super Bowl. And if you go back and watch the last five minutes of that game, I there, you can make all kinds of like uh, 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 assertions that San Francisco got screwed, man, uh, on a couple of non-calls late in that game. That you know when they were driving for an apparent go-ahead touchdown. And by the way, the the quarterback that day was Colin Kaepernick, and he looked he looked pretty good in the Super Bowl, you know. But uh, yeah, whatever. That's another that's another talk show. Um, Fifteen minutes. But the bottom line is this guy has had a itch to scratch about the about the NFL. And, you know, you only live once. What's wrong? What's wrong with going and trying to get back to, you know, a place where you came so close and didn't get it done? I, yeah. I have no problem with that. And especially now that you've delivered the goods, you know, now 
How did you deliver the goods? That will be a, that will be up for interpretation for the next 100 years at Michigan. Finally, how did you deliver the goods? Uh, was it in a getaway car? You know, <laughs> uh, but that may be what he's taken out of town. But this guy can coach. I don't think there's any doubt about it, and he's proven it at both uh, the major levels. He, I mean, he proved it at Stanford before he ever showed up in the NFL. So uh, I would think some NFL team is very is going to be very interested in him. But you know, will he pass the interview portion of the entry? Uh, that remains to be seen. Thank you, kind sir. Appreciate your time. Who y'all got this weekend? I know who you got, but uh, uh, C.J. Stroud, man, he, he's on a run. He's pretty, Look out. He's pretty good, Tim. I'm going. Yeah. Tim, I'm going shootout. I think it's going to be like 34-30, something along those but lines. I want to tell you something. I want to tell you something. Joe Flacco is vying for comeback player of the year. I mean, there's one thing to be rookie of the year, another thing to be comeback player of the year, and uh, I just everything I've liked everything about Cleveland since they got Joe Flacco back. Or since they got Joe Flacco, period. <laughs> Enjoy the game, Tim. I will. Always. Hey, anytime you need me, give me a call. We will. We Tim May, Letterman Rowe, joining us on the North Homestead Chrysler Jeep Dodge Ram Hotline. The only man I know who's worked harder in retirement than he did as a full-time employee. Isn't that the truth? Two keys and a lock. Browns, Texans next. Browns, Texans. You have one team that had won three or four games three years in a row. Not very good, the Houston Texans. Boom, D'Amico Ryans comes in, C.J. Stroud comes in. All of a sudden, they're in the playoffs. They win their division. They're looking good. You have the Browns, who folks had some real aspirations for the Browns this year. I thought they'd make the playoffs. thought they had a really good chance. And then you lost Jack Conklin and then Nick Chubb and then Deshaun Watson, and you're on your fourth starting quarterback. And all of a sudden, the Browns are in the playoffs. They're the fifth seed. So you got four against five. Browns in Houston against the Texans. Tomorrow, two keys and a lock. Let's get it rolling, boys. Let's start with the man who's behind the glass. That's Jake Murren. Jake, give me a key for tomorrow. My first key, limit C.J. Stroud's connection with Nico Collins. If you can keep Collins in check, then it should be an easy outing for the Browns defense. I believe in that. Menigan. My key number one in this game is, frankly, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. The secondary of the Houston Texans is not the best against play action, especially when you attack it between 11 and 19 yards, which the Browns love to do frequently and 20 yards further. So continue to do what you do best. Heavy play action, hit the middle of the field, hit the deep shot. Because while Stingley is really good on that one side, that second side of Steven Nelson and whomever else is back there, they're on backup safeties as well. That's where they're vulnerable. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. My first key. If you look at the five games Joe Flacco played quarterback for the Browns, you see touchdown passes, at least two in each game. And you see at least one interception in every game. In only one of those games... Did Flacco throw more interceptions than he did touchdowns? It was the game against Chicago, and that was a close game. It was 20-17. to 17. Browns won that game. My key, Joe Flacco must throw more touchdown passes than he does interceptions. And I expect him to throw an interception against Houston. But I expect him, and I think the Browns have to have, more touchdown passes than interceptions thrown by Joe Flacco. All right, that's one key for each of us. 
That means we have one more to go. Jake. My second key, produce explosive plays. We saw a bunch between Flacco and Cooper in the first Texans game. And really beyond that, the amount of 20-plus yard gains with Flacco under center has been unreal this season. Let's keep that going tomorrow because those are the plays that can decide games, especially in the playoffs. And again, key number two of this game, the defense has been outstanding this entire year. I don't think you could say anything bad about it. But there are a home road split that takes place with this defense. I think they're like first at home, and I want to say it's like seventh or something like that when they're away from home. So, again, not earth-shattering, but there is a difference there. Clearly, they have to figure out some way where they cannot, where they need to be able to tee off in the way that they do at home when teams use the silent count versus on the road when it's a little bit quieter in there. Find that advantage, and especially with a rookie quarterback in Stroud, bug him a little bit, make him throw off platform get him uncomfortable in the pocket, and then see where it takes you there. A lot of people are saying it's a rookie quarterback. Rookie quarterbacks make mistakes in playoff games when the pressure gets ramped up. This kid has bucked all of those trends everywhere he has gone. See if you can bother him and make him look like a rookie. Well, that's my second key. At least it's on the same in the same vein here. This is not about Flacco. This is to point out something about C.J. Stroud. Joe Flacco in five games threw eight interceptions. Eight. Okay, in five games. On the season, C.J. Stroud threw five interceptions in 15 games. He's so careful with the ball. Think about that. It's impressive. Flacco had eight in five games. C.J. had five interceptions in 15 games to go along with 23 interceptions or touchdown passes. So what do I think they have to do? I think the Browns have to pressure C.J. Stroud into some turnovers. And I'll go for even one. If if they can get him to throw even one interception, I think that'll be a really critical part of this game. Maybe you know, maybe you get him to fumble a, fumble the ball because of a pass rush. You know, something. I'd prefer it to be an interception. Then again, if you get the ball back, I don't really care. You must pressure C.J. Stroud enough where he turns the ball over, and that's something he didn't do a whole lot of in the regular season. He was outstanding. Lock. Two keys all the way around. Now it's time for the lock. Jake. I've been bold lately with my locks, but I've also been wrong lately with my locks, so I think I found the sweet spot here. I think the Browns' offense won't be denied. They'll score 30-plus points tomorrow. 30-plus points. I like that. Menigan. You know, we've been meaning to sit down and have a discussion with you, Jake, about your locks. I just want that to be known. It's like the cover pages and the TPS reports. It's just unacceptable. You know, we sent that memo around about the importance of the lock. Wow. My lock for this one, I I was going to take kind of Jake's idea. Take the over. Points, points, and points. I have a feeling this is a shootout. I think the the Browns are going to attempt to hit their six to eight, if not ten, deep shots, play action shots, really push the ball down the field. The way that they've played this whole time Flacco has been here, where they've turned into the three true outcomes offense. And by that I mean you're either hitting bombs, you're throwing in completions, or you're throwing, you know, hitting bombs, hit the stuff over the middle easily. There's your walks and your picks or your strikeouts. I think Joe Flacco throws for three touchdowns. I think you get two picks out of this one as well, out of Flacco, and this is a shootout. That would be a shootout. Yeah, yes. something like that. My lock, and I say this even though I, I like Pierre Strong, doesn't look like he's going to play because John Kelly has been moved to the active roster. The Browns will have at least 80 yards rushing in this game. 80. That's not a lot to ask for. 
on the season, Houston's been really good. They're at 96.6 yards mm-hmm. per game allowed rushing. But they held the Browns to 54 yards rushing in Week 16. I think it's essential, and I think it'll happen. I think the Browns will have at least 80. That's not even a good rushing game. That's just what Chad Brown talked about. You've got to be able to let the run attack set up the pass a little bit and make the Texans respect the run. I think 80 yards will do it, and I think it's a lock that the Browns will have at least 80 yards rushing. That's two keys in a lock. Very nice. A couple of things kept popping up, though. Blacko and interceptions, C.J. Stroud and rookie. Those are big things. Mm-hmm. They're really big things. If Joe can limit the interceptions, if he can, in three of his five games, he threw only one. That would be huge. And they, they lost one of those games, his first start against the Rams, but, you know, he didn't even know anybody. But if he has a, a three-interception game, if he has a two-interception game like he had against Houston before, well, why, why did it work against Houston before? Because he threw for 368 and Amari Cooper went nuts. And I'm not sure, again, I'm going to get yelled at for being negative, but whatever. You know, I, I would was say also- it's not negativity. I'd say it's it's just throwing out – Realistic thoughts and facts. It was also Case Keenum playing in that game. Well, I, we know that, like, but the well, but but he, and, and you're right. But that's the kind of the stuff that gets forgotten is that it's Case Keenum who was on the other side. And so when you're a defense and you're looking at a backup quarterback on the other side, and even if it's Case Keenum and Davis who's, Mills, right, who's got too. the Minneapolis miracle in his back pocket, if you want to point to that one. But like he's still a backup quarterback and he's not C.J. Stroud. Your defense has to play a different way. You know, you kind of tighten up a little bit more than you probably should. So, I think that's going to play into it. That's why I think this game's going to be a heck of a lot closer for a multitude of reasons. Hopefully, you know, well, we'll see if Will Anderson plays in this game. That's going to be a big part of it. He was out in that first game. Like, I think this is going to be close, and I think it's going to be a shootout, and I think it's going to be a just a blast. You know, one of those games that no matter where it goes, of course, Browns fans, if they win, will be over the moon. If they lose, will be bummed out. But, boy, if you're just a neutral fan watching football, I think it's going to be a fun one. All right, but let me throw this at you. Browns led the Texans, and I know, C.J. Stroud. He wasn't there last game. They led the Houston Texans 36-7 to mm-hmm. in the what, fourth quarter. What the Browns do well, the Texans are bad at, which is play action, deep shots. Play action, 11-19 to 19 yards. Mm. What the Browns do well, the Texans are bad at. Because that's all about linebackers, you know, and those yeah. linebackers are super young on that defense. So here's the deal. Get ready. We have we have quick predicts coming up. The boys want to do it. If you light up the phone lines, we'll do it. 216-474-0092. 216-474-0092. Quick predicts straight ahead here on Baskin and Phelps. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, You call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. 
With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Hey everyone, Boomer Esiason here. The NFL Draft is behind us and your favorite team is now gearing up for week number one. The free Odyssey app puts you right in the middle of the pro football conversation with the biggest sports radio stations from across the country. The local voices who know your team the best, giving you their unfiltered takes on the current state of your squad. It's always football season right here on the free Odyssey app.